Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional-level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Once upon a time. I wish in a far-off kingdom lived a fair maiden, a sad young lad, and a childless baker, more than life, I wish, with his more wife, more than anything, more than the moon, I wish, the king is giving a festival, more than life, I wish, I wish to go to the festival, more than riches, I wish my cow would give us some Hello all theater lovers, both out and proud and on the DL, and welcome back to Broadway Breakdown, a podcast discussing the history and legacy of American theater's most exclusive address, Broadway. This is the first of many series devoted to specific artists that have helped shape Broadway as we know it today, both for better and for worse. It is called A Little Sondheim Music, and it is dedicated to the musicals of one Mr. Stephen Sondheim. I am your host, Matt Koplick, the least famous and most opinionated of all the Broadway podcast hosts. And with me today is an actor, writer, social media personality curator. You might have seen him in Clinton the Musical as Kenneth Starr. That's how I first saw him. Uh, You might have seen him tour the country in Waitress, or you might just stalk him on Instagram and see all of his amazing content. I don't know if by the time this comes out, you'll still be doing seven questions. I hope you do, but I think this comes out in April, maybe May. Uh, Anyway, point is, please welcome to the pod, Mr. Kevin Zach. Hello! Hello, Matt. Thank you for having me. Do you appreciate that really long-winded intro where you just had to wait? Oh, I just, I loved it. Keep going. Oh, yes. Uh, Doesn't matter how many times I do this intro, I have to write it down. I have to read it. I can't, I don't have it memorized. And I'm never- And I'm never going to say it with any sort of a plum. Uh, I, I started to dislike it about the third time I had to say it. But by that point, I was too deep. And I was like, I can't change it now. So here we are. It's great. Oh, I love thank it. You, oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Mr. Kevin, what are we discussing today in the Sondheim canon? Uh, my favorite uh, Sondheim musical, Into the Woods. Um, yeah. It's, Your favorite about- Sondheim musical. It is only, and, and I don't, that doesn't mean, I mean, it's the best one. It's my mm-hmm. favorite though, because right. I, I think Bernadette Peters is probably the first celebrity I knew of because I watched the original Broadway cast filming of it mm-hmm. on PBS as a kid. And we taped it off of PBS and I wore that tape out watching Bernadette Peters, you know, circle the stage in a giant cape. And I, I knew who Bernadette Pierce before I knew who people like 
I don't know, Tom Hanks or Brad Pitt. What, you know? Yeah. That, I mean, that's a very specific image that I immediately gravitated towards. <laughs> so yeah, you just said all the right things. No, I mean, this is regardless of anyone's opinion on the show, you cannot deny the impact that has had on a generation of theater kids and continues to have. Uh, so it's not a controversial choice to have it as your favorite. I, it was my favorite Sondheim for a long time. As I'm doing this series, I'm wondering if that's changing a little bit. Uh, I bet it is, yeah. You're yeah, I mean, I'm just really loving the frogs, you know? It's just... <laughs> <laughs> no one can take um, that seriously. You know, I'm sure you know this, but Sigourney Weaver was in the original ensemble of that when they did yes, the first was. production in Yale's Pool. With Meryl Streep and Christopher Durang. Isn't that wild? It is so wild. And now look at them. They've come <laughs> so far, but yet it's so downhill from being in the ensemble in the pool for the frogs. Of Yale, yeah. Yeah, of Yale. So were you a theater kid by the time you had watched it or was that sort of at the point you were becoming one? I would say I don't know if it was a becoming or if it just always was. Mm. Um, it just... I don't know who put on into the woods for the first time. It was just there. I was, mm -hmm. you know, I, I was born in 1988. So that was the year it came out. So it was playing on PBS sometime around when I was three, four, five. Mm -hmm. And some point during that, I was abducted. It's very brave of you to give your birth year. That is, <laughs> I'm so uh, in awe of you. I don't think I ever truly will disclose my full, my full birth year. Uh, I will tell people that I was born in either 85 or 95 and anywhere in between those, those years. So their guess. The safe um, guess, good. Yeah. I'm also just a very vain person in that way. I It's why <laughs> I wanted to play the stepmother for so long. Um, and also just because I'm incredibly gay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got into Woods. It was like, I, I was already a theater kid by then when I watched it because I think I was eight. Yeah, I had... You know, Disney was sort of, you know, Disney got me very young. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I always talk about Mermaid and, and Beauty and the Beast just like on repeat. And then, I was the same with The Little Mermaid. I had Little Mermaid everything. Yes. Oh, I have yeah. a whole tangent about gays and mermaid and why we love it so much. Oh. Uh, it's tr I, oh, I call it the gayest of all the Disney Renaissance movies. Um, <laughs> In like in both, you know, uh, obvious and subconscious ways. But we're not going into that today because uh, <laughs> if we do, we'll just never get to Woods. So <laughs> point is, Disney got me Wizard of Oz and then weirdly ballet for a time. Red Shoes was like I stole it from the video store when I was a kid and just watched that all the time as mm -hmm. you do when you're seven. Yep. And I started doing like theatery stuff at the local JCC because in addition to being gay, I am Jewish. And we, my director teacher, Amelia, was like, we're going to do this show called Into the Woods. And at eight years old, had me play Jack. And in order to like have me learn it, showed us all the VHS of the Broadway company. And I was like, who is this? Who are these people? This is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And then I think like later that year, we found um, the VHS like at a store somewhere. And I was like... Mm. Bought it, watched it repeatedly, continued to watch it. When the revival happened in 2002, I was so on board to go see it. Fun fact, I uh, was supposed to audition for it. I know. Oh, this is one of the worst, worst what ifs of all time. Like this oh, is my, no. this is my follies right here. 
because I was 11. I was 11 about to turn 12 and I had done the first ever high school production of Les Miserables. Like it was like the premiere production that we then recorded, which I don't know if you've ever listened to that reference recording. Uh, I don't think so. So like MTI, going all over the place, but MTI like has junior versions and high school yeah. versions of the shows and they have what they call reference recordings because they're like key changes and, and score cuts and whatnot. And so for Les Mis, we did it and I got to do it. And at 12 years old, Prepubes and me had two solos that were so inappropriate to have. Uh, one was in the prologue where it's um, the field worker says to Valjean, you broke the law, it's there for people to see, but I'm 12, so it's up the octave. Oh no. <laughs> honest men like me that was my rose's turn but anyway the director for that was close with Sondheim and Lapine and after the production ended he was like so I sent some audio of you singing in the reference recording and like said good things about you to them and they would like you to come in to audition for Jack and my mom said no you already are doing your sixth grade play and you made a commitment to that and I had a meltdown oh no the damage is done could have been me Fuck you, Adam Wiley. It could have been me. Oh, no. I know. So that's that was some damage that I have with the show, but I still love it. I don't hold (laughs) I don't hold that against them. Uh, But yeah, I've only got to do it once since then. I played Cinderella's Prince in high school because our directors thought it would be fun to go against my type. Oh, that's always fun. Yeah, I say sarcastically. Mm-hmm. to lower your voice and try to act as straight as possible. And yeah, just so great. Have oh, you ever gotten God. to do the show? I've never, I've never gotten to do it. And uh, I would love to do it one day. I, I just, I've never gotten to do it. My, my brother, Danny, when we were growing up, he's five years older than me. And mm-hmm. he started a theater company with a couple of his friends in Buffalo. And they put on Into the Woods as like a summer production with just, you know, all their friends and whatnot. And I was a camp counselor at that point. Um, so I didn't do it then. I wish I did, but I didn't. But otherwise the opportunity, I, I oh no, I, I, think I've, I think I auditioned for that roundabout revival. The one where they're playing all the instruments? Yes. And I, and then I got to some sort of callback at one point and then they're like, and so what do you play? And I go, well, I don't. And I left. <laughs> there it is. So how much about sort of the history of the inception of Into the Woods do you know? I have listened to, I think there's like some workshop recordings on YouTube mm-hmm. that I've, I've dabbled in. I forgot who was playing the witch at that point. Who wasn't playing the witch? Who at that wasn't? Point? Cleo Lane? Who wasn't? <laughs> um, oh, God. It might have been me fun. for a hot minute. So where we're at in Sondheim's career is we're after Sunday, Sunday in the Park with George. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that crowd pleasing mega hit that everybody loved and nobody walked out at the end of act one constantly. Yeah. Uh, That Frank Rich just kept alive by constantly writing in his reviews, like fuck Merlin, fuck cats, go see Sunday in the Park with George. (laughs) Um, So he and James Lapine, had an idea. So, oh, also the other thing that happened was um, the Follies concert at Avery Fisher Hall in 1985. Uh-huh. Do you know, do you know of that concert? I know of it, yeah. Okay. It's a good concert. It's Barbara Cook, Lee Remick, good yes. people. Carol Burnett does I'm Still Here. 
Elaine Stritch, Broadway Baby, some good stuff. Uh, that sort of renews interest in Follies, which then gets a production in London. Um, and so Sondheim's starting to become like popular again after yes. sort of was after that... the devastation of Merrily and Sunday, which ran and was respected but not well liked by a lot of people. Yeah. He's starting to become liked again, which is really good. Um, and so he and Lapine talk about what their next project's going to be. And they had an idea to do sort of like a fantasy quest musical, sometimes said like in the vein of Wizard of Oz. Uh, but James Lapine wasn't really quite sure if he could invent one. He's like, right. He's like inventing a whole fantasy world takes so much time. Like James Lapine knew before even Game of Thrones. He's like, do you know how much time it takes to create a world of fantasy that has like no logic other than what you give it? Like, this is why, uh, what's his face? Martin, James L.R. Martin. What's his name? Game of Thrones guy. Oh, I don't know Game of Thrones. I thought, I mean, I'd never seen the show, but I believe you. No, I have. I watched the first season and thought it was dull, but I assumed (laughs) you would. I don't know. Most people. No, I know. I know Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. So I know what you're, yeah. Token then. Token. Yes. Token. I've never watched Lord of the Rings. I watched the second Hobbit movie and was confused, but I guess that's what happens. I bet you'd be confused. Yeah. Yeah, that's what yeah. happens when you watch the second movie of a trilogy with no context. Yes. <laughs> um, of like a prequel trilogy, too. <laughs> exactly. Although I understand in the first one, there's like a 30-minute scene where they're just washing dishes and singing. I Oh, it's, yeah, the movies are something else. Okay. So, see, we all have our nerd stuff. <laughs> um, but so they're like, they yeah. kind of put the idea to rest for a second because they're not quite sure, you know, what they're going to go about with it. But then they have an idea for a TV special, which they're trying to sell, which was the idea that like all these different really well-known TV shows sort of combine for this big special. So something along the lines of Archie Bunker from All in the Family gets into a car crash, which then gets investigated by Cagney and Lacey. And then they have to like go, then they have to go to like St. Elsewhere to get, uh, you know, medical treatments and whatnot. And they're trying to sell it. And, uh, you know, basically what happens is I think it's, uh, Norman Lear is that the name of the guy who yeah thank you thank you every time I say the name it sounds like not a real name I I I can see that yeah nor they try to sell it to Norman Lear who's like oh amazing like write the script and I'll buy it they're like we don't want to write the script we just want to sell you the idea the idea he's like no I want the script which I have been in that situation before I'm like I'm not spending in a month writing you a script if you don't like the idea um so yeah as you know as a writer (laughs) Yeah, so we get it. We get why Lapine and Sondheim were like, no, uh, no <laughs> just buy our idea. Go. Yeah. But it gives them the idea to apply it to their fantasy musical, which will become Into the Woods. And they go, what if we took a bunch of different fairy tales that are already known and make it this sort of, uh, you know, mashup and we'll add our own story to sort of thread them all together so it has some sort of through line. And they fall upon the grim fairy tales and sort of pick the ones they like the best, the ones that they think have similarities and and whatnot. The other thing was they were like, we can't really take one grim fairy tale because they're all super short. So to take one fairy tale and expand it to two and a half hours is stupid. And there are some Broadway shows that forgot that lesson. <laughs> so they come up with the idea of the baker and his wife, which is like their modern American urban couple who... Uh, their idea is basically this couple that almost feels like they woke up one day in a grim fairy tale. That's sort of like the mold of which they wrote it and which they cast it, which when you watch Joanna Gleason and Chip Zion, like that tracks, they read like yeah. a couple in a Woody Allen movie. That's like totally. wakes up one day and they're like, what I'm in the woods. 
That's so true. You're absolutely right. They are a couple from a Woody Allen movie. <laughs> 100%. I mean, Joanna Gleason has been in quite a few, but yeah. that's that's not why I said that. I said that because I'm smart and I can find references. Yes, you can. Good for you. <laughs> Thanks, God. I should point out, guys, Kevin has only known me for the length of this recording. The fact that he's being so supportive right now is a testament to his character, not because he's like, oh, we're old friends and I'll indulge you. Like, he's just a, he's being a very nice person right now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they they weirdly enough, like the whole what I could find anyway of the sort of writing process and production process of the show isn't all that troubled. Uh, you know, like they didn't have any trouble raising money. They didn't have any trouble really casting the majority of it the biggest problems come while they're sort of getting ready for broadway so they go to san diego in december of 86 and i think they do a work a reading at playwrights horizons at that time and then they go to uh, san diego they go to the old globe which uh is you know where the full monty and dirty rotten mm-hmm. scoundrels had their out-of-town tryouts as well a lot of like random shows had out of town tryouts there. I found uh, most of the cast is the same for the out of town tryout as opposed to Broadway. The only big changes they make are Ellen Foley was the witch there. She had more of a punk rock glam look, and I believe it's a different Cinderella's prince. But like ninety percent of the cast remains the same. Uh, they had some weird things out in uh, San Diego, like the way that the baker's wife died originally was um, after she sang moments in the woods. She ate a poisoned apple, and that is how she died. Oh, my God. They just wanted to weave that last little bit in, didn't they? They just, they were like, we want to make sure you all understand. These are fairy tales that you know. Yes. Oh, my. Who did, now, did she just pick the apple off a tree, or what did the witch Oh, no, I think, like, it was presented to her. It was, I don't know. There's, there's, I think there might be footage of it. I'm not entirely sure, because uh, there is footage of the, of the San Diego production. Oh. And it is and it is wild. It's like very um, hodgepodge. The costumes are cheap and there's not much of a set. It's, yeah. Oh, I've got to find this. i got to know how she gets this apple. Was there a second witch? <laughs> what? Oh, like for the transformation? I don't know. I mean, if it's towards the end of Act 2. Oh, second witch, dying. like the apple second witch. Right, like right, the right. Ap- like, like, I totally get this apple. I didn't, I didn't even think of the witch from Snow White. I was just like, what second witch? Yeah, I guess so. They also like, um, yeah, because Snow White was a bigger character. The three little pigs were bigger characters and which they both just sort of got eliminated in the process and a bunch of different songs. You can watch, he's a very nice prince from that production as well as I think Your Fault slash Boom Crunch. And it is, the witch's costume in particular is really crazy. It's the best way I can describe it is you know in Cinderella when Laura Osnes gets like her gown torn apart and then it becomes sure. like the gold gown in the yep. costume change? Before it's the gold gown, how she looks at the torn clothes, that's essentially what the witch is wearing. But like oh, intentional. Good. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Stunning. We, we, love, we love a choice. Uh, yeah, no, definitely check it out. It's, it's wild. They also write No One Is Alone while they're in San Diego. So that wasn't in the show yet. Um, yeah, just a lot of changes. Sondheim said that the biggest issue for him was act one, mostly of just like writing these songs that, and we'll get to it as we get into the show, writing these songs that uh, were story songs. And he doesn't like story songs because he's like, you kind of just want to get to the end of it. And so he had to find a way into that, which led to James Lapine's wife going like, well, when the characters are telling stories about what happened to them, why not talk about like what their attitude is, what they learned? Like, you know, what's, what is the emotional 
relevance of their story. And he's like, oh yeah, these are people who have thoughts and feelings. Maybe I should write about that. Yeah, and they, all those stories had morals. Exactly. You know? Yeah, I mean, they had some messed up morals, or at least maybe the sure. morals were hidden by some messed up stories, but good morals. Good morals. Yeah, <laughs> well, do you know that the whole origin of Little Red Riding Hood is um, the... Because it does, it doesn't originate with the Grimm brothers. It originates with like a royal storyteller in a court somewhere. I'm, the exact origins, I'm not entirely sure, but the basic idea is some royal court, and the story they had like a royal storyteller, and it was basically the storyteller's way to warn the like young children of the court against pedophiles, without like oh. out, without hourly telling the king and queen like, hey, you got pedophiles in your court. He's like, hey, kids, watch out, watch out. So good that's a good moral to learn from that story exactly if if i mean if those kids listened then they uh wouldn't have their own little you know mystic river prologue going on <laughs> do you like that reference that was a good one that was a really good one <laughs> thank you i mean you're not going to catch me uh referencing clint eastwood much on this podcast but well we'll see about that you already did once I did once, yeah. Uh, who knows? Before the day's over, I could reference Unforgiven and Space Cowboys. <laughs> <clears throat> so they close in, uh, in San- I keep wanting to say La Jolla. My tongue wants to say La Jolla, but it's not La Jolla. It's the Old, old globe. globe. Old Globe. They close in the Old Globe. Uh, you know, pretty okay response. Audiences were super confused. They love to tell the story that like Sondheim would stand in the parking lot and like shout at people to go back in at after intermission not because they hated it they like genuinely thought the show was was over over. oh wow (laughs) yeah um i don't know how true that is i'm sure like it happened once or twice but they like to say like oh yeah all he was out there all the time going go back in uh they decide to cut ellen foley as the witch because they don't think it really fits super well betty buckley does a reading of it unclear what really happened there um, that's the audio i think i've heard yes there's an yes. audio of her doing the witch's rap and she's not you know very funny or weird she's more just sort of like intense and betty buckley she's betty buckley hot box yeah. of crazy betty buckley yeah she goes on later this season to do carrie which is much more suited to her talents <laughs> and then the other story i don't know if you know this uh while they're casting it they ask patty lapone to come in to audition for the witch and she says i really want to audition for cinderella and they're like, well, we kind of have a Cinderella, but like, sure, if you if you're if you fit it, we'll cast you because you're Patty Lapone. So she comes in, she does the audition, and they're like, you're not a Cinderella. Can you audition for the witch? And I think she does eventually audition for the witch, and her demands are too much, and so they're like, this isn't going to work out. And so she goes on to do anything goes, and she's been bitter about it ever since because who do they cast instead of her? Bernadette Peters. Oh no, Patty. I have I don't, so I don't know if you have this in your life. Maybe you're just super at ease with who you are and what you've done and where you've been. But I feel like all of us have like that one person. It doesn't matter how much success we have or how confident we feel. There's that one person who sort of like comes in and out of our lives where we're like, you're doing better. Like you have things that I want. <laughs> For me, it's my cousin's nine-year-old son, Trevor. Uh, because I was the baby of the family for so long. And then at the ripe old age of 22, Trevor was born and my grandmother won't shut up about Trevor. And I'm like, I get it, grandma. Trevor's younger than me. Trevor's thinner than me. Trevor has smoother skin than me. Trevor's more blonde than me. Like Trevor, Trevor, Trevor. Oh, I'm so sorry. I think that will even out eventually, hopefully. 
hopefully puberty is not that far away for him it's gonna go downhill pretty soon yeah i i feel for you that that's that's tough yeah. <laughs> thank you <laughs> i have others but trevor's the big one um but bernadette's <laughs> kind of that way for patty i feel like oh yeah yeah oh, do you wow. have those people in your life kevin or are you just like i wake up every day knowing that i'm awesome oh god no i don't I don't wake up like that i think uh, nearly ever i've spent most of this pandemic you know face down in a corner because that's the only way I you was well, your boyfriend around the corner then is that why <laughs> bam sorry <laughs> again i have to emphasize kevin does not know me so he's not used to my just being sexual all the time just oh it's please I, i'm i'm way well no yeah i i mean <laughs> i i think maybe so, more so in my 20s i i saw that but i feel like i i had that feeling more i i think i realized in my late 20s i was like i am not similar to these people mm-hmm. i am so much weirder than they are whether that be a bad or a good thing i there's just no way that door they just went through i would fit through it if that makes sense well none of not us can fit through that door right to... now none yes, of us can fit through door. that door right now 2020 was a year yeah, that door has is too narrow. Too narrow. No, um, I, that's. I think that's absolutely healthy. I'm trying to be better about that. I definitely still have my patty isms, where like I'm confident, totally. I'm confident, and then I like see something and I go, "What? Why isn't it mine?" Yeah. No. I, it's it's so interesting because during this this whole pandemic, you know, I've gotten a sprinkle of auditions here and there and whatnot, and and it's a lot less than what it used to be and people like to post like their bloopers or post their self tapes or whatever which mm-hmm. i get we all want affirmation we all want to show certain maybe followers that people want us to be working we're working yada 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 at the same time it's like i don't know if i need to see your bloopers i think this is maybe a more charming thing when the show business is running yeah as to like you post yourself tape if it's a great audition go ahead and post it but if you're going to show us how much you messed up and how cute you are all messing up you know unless it's like a fake blooper reel i love fake blooper reels but i think it's an intro it's it's that's i think sometimes hard for me to watch it's like oh this is this is more charming when there's a business for everyone to have right does that make sense yeah yeah you know? i i was in a conversation with someone about this uh I was the sentence I'm about to say is going to make me want to vomit because it's just so 2021. Just move your microphone if you do. Yeah. Um, I was having a DM conversation on Instagram with someone about this. I hated that sentence, but let me continue. So it's basically texting nowadays. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, Cause they were, somebody was asking like, Oh, why do you never sing on your Instagram? Because you like, i I used to act, I used to perform. I don't really do that anymore. And someone's like, oh, there are no videos of you really singing on your Instagram. And, I was, and I, I'm like, I'm not, that's not really who I am. Uh, I I kind of feel that no one really cares to see like me perform on my Instagram. Uh, it's more about like what I can create on it. Uh, I always get turned off by the like, just felt like singing today videos uh, because it's always like, I, as you said, people look, are looking for affirmation. So they post to like get the compliments, which is fine. I'm more of a fan of just total transparency of like, hey, haven't sung in public for a while. Going to post it on here. If you like it, please say something that would mean a lot to me. It's yeah. it's not 
like necessarily cute or witty, but it's the truth. And the same thing it's with the honest. Bloopers. Yeah, and the same thing with the bloopers. It's like I'm sh- showing uh my bloopers because a I want to show you guys that I'm auditioning for things again. People are asking to see me audition, and you know to say, oh, you're a charming human being. That's nice. Uh, whereas I'm more of like you know I'm just naturally charming. I'm just naturally working all the time. My whole life is an audition, Kevin. <laughs> I'm constantly auditioning for roles in life. Husband, wife, sexy baby, you sexy name it. Sexy baby, yes. So Bernadette Peters gets casted into the woods, uh, which was basically she had dinner with Stephen Sondheim and James Lapine, as you do. And they were just like, yeah, we can't really find anybody. And Bernadette's like, well, how long do you need them for? And I'm like, well, why do we never think of you, Bernie? Because uh, she's always just, she's Bernadette. She's always busy. And she's like, well, I can give yeah. you five months. And they're like, that's all we need. We just need you to open the show for a bit and like get people into the theater. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that's like truly just friends helping friends out, which we yeah. don't see that Here's much. Here's a five-month favor. This is great. Truly what it was, yeah. And Sondheim always talks about how like, oh, people think we wrote the part just for her, that we expanded it just for her. And it's like, the truth is the part was already the part when she came in. Uh, he's like, we definitely tailored some stuff to her talents once she was in the room, you know, like would alter some keys and, and whatnot. But like, he's like, yeah, the material is mostly there already. Uh, we just needed someone who we thought could do a good job and was a name and she was that. But yeah, she was only in it for like five months and then Felicia Rashad came in, which is why Felicia Rashad's on the Tony Awards. Yep. Um, Betsy Jocelyn weirdly did it for a minute, which, oh, yeah. For those of you who don't know Betsy Jocelyn, you, I, by this time you will, because the Sweeney episode will have come out, but she's the Joanna on that video recording with Angela Lansbury. Mm-hmm. And Sondheim likes her Joanna because he says her voice sounds like a bird. And I'm like, it's a bird on speed. <laughs> that vibrato. It's the 80s. Cocaine. It's very much the 80s. A lot of like yeah. casting mix arounds with this show I found out because I have maybe three or four playbills from the original Into the Woods. Ooh. And like, yeah, like uh, a lot of cast members, like one of the stepsisters was the baker's wife for a minute. Lauren Mitchell was the baker's wife for like one month. And then so uh, I think like Chuck Wagner was Cinderella's prince for a month. Like just they kept oh, on yeah. moving people around over those two years. It was it was quite insane. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you ever had to deal with that where it's like over the course of the run. Like, hey, Kevin, um, we know normally you play star. Could you be Hillary tonight? Because Carrie's feeling down. <laughs> no, I, though one of my Bill Clintons was Tom Galantic, who was the standby for the princes in the original Into the Woods. And he would go on for, he said, sometimes months as, at a time as one of the prince. One yeah. Because well, yeah. like, they just, were they sick or were they just like out on a, another job or something? Not sure. I, I mean, he just said it was the cast changeover was constant. Waitress, I was the dance captain and I, we were, we would, we just were always replacing people. And I almost, there was, probably 10 minutes to spare where it was almost nurse norm mm-hmm. instead of the usual nurse norma mm-hmm. who's always played by a woman so i i was not a swing in the show i was in the ensemble mm-hmm. but i would, was constantly swinging and split tracking on stage it felt like at least every week of the show so i i, I think just some shows when they start running mm-hmm. something about it makes the turnover turnover just crazy yeah, I think with waitress, it's the pies you have to constantly dance with. They just, they can injure people. They're, yes, they're very lethal. <laughs> yes, listen, carbs in this economy? In this economy? You want me to eat a pumpkin pie every night on stage? <laughs> it's full Jenna Maroney and Mystic Pizza, the musical. Yes, exactly. Get me on rollerblades and 
let's go to town. Ah, oh, God. What a I, I, what role would Jenna Maroney play in Woods? She'd probably play the witch, right? I would say she'd want to play the witch, but she'd get cast as Jack's mother. <laughs> or she'd think she's like Cinderella. And they're like, what are you Cinderella. talking about? Yeah, she's like, Cinderella, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm still she always She's got to end up as the dumpy one because she yeah. thinks she's 18. Exactly. Yeah. What's a drive-in? Uh, <laughs> see, Kevin's a gay, so he got that reference. Those of you who don't get that reference... Get yourself to, I guess, Peacock, because that's where you can watch 30 Rock these days. Yeah. That's There's gross. Too many streaming services. I can't keep up. Too many streaming services. So uh, one of the major changes that happens in previews on Broadway is the song Boom Crunch becomes Last Midnight. Uh, people thought they changed it because they wanted to give Bernadette Peters uh, an 11 o'clock number. That is not the case. Sondheim just thought that Boom Crunch was a little too repetitive and discussed plot points we already knew so they changed it to last midnight the fact that it became a showstopper was incidental because it was just Bernadette Peters and look at the material comes with the territory yeah comes with the territory she got another territory opens November 5th 1987 at the Martin Beck Theater now the Al Hirschfeld uh and we will get into exactly what happened after opening night in a second but first let's get into the show itself now Kevin we've been talking a lot about the history and our uh, involvement with the show but we never actually stated what woods is about how would you describe into the woods what it's about as concisely as possible in terms of like what it what it is on paper or what it theoretically is well let's start with paper let's oh, start with was... let's start with literal woods and then get into metaphorical woods uh, um i would say into the woods is a uh god it is the marvel cinematic universe of fairy tales and the infinity stones are the cow is white as milk the cape is red as blood the hair is yellow as gold what are infinity stones it's from the avengers i'm a comic book nerd um but they have to collect all these infinity stones i am (laughs) so over you right now i can go if you want (laughs) No, um, hey, you've been very nice. Um, I'll let you have your Marvel and I'll let you have your Lord of the Rings. Um, I'm not that big of a fan of Lord of the Rings, I should say that. I just know it better than Game of Thrones. Okay, are you a Harry Potter nerd or was that too commercial for you? No, 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 I, I absolutely loved the books growing up, loved them. Yes, we don't we don't love the auteur, but we love the books. Yes, no, yes, not that turf. Um, <laughs> yeah. I would say it's, I, I guess that's too specific a, a, a allegory. I would say Into the Woods is a two-act musical about a bunch of fairy tales that we all know and love being connected by two very relatable people. Mm-hmm. And what happens after Happily Ever After? Oh, bad, terrible things, Matt. You've seen it? It's, it's really bad in Act 2. Everyone dies. A lot of people die, mostly women. Mostly uh, women, no children, thank, thankfully. But Yes. Um, although there are times when I'm like, that damn baby, shut that thing up. <sighs> Just, I was, there, there'll be a production where the witch starts to eat it probably one of these days. We're not that far off from the productions we've had. No, I know. It's, it's getting pretty gross. <laughs> yes, in more ways than one. Uh, yeah, you're, it's very concise. Many fairy tales, we have the ones you know and love, Cinderella, Rapunzel, Little Red Riding Hood, Jack and the Beanstalk, and then Sleeping Beauty and Snow White, kind of. They're like referenced, but they're not really in it. In it. No, but that, that would grant uh, 
you know, an avenue for my theory that there's more than one witch in this universe. Yeah, there, I'm sure there's more than one witch. I mean, if there's a hidden kingdom, there's got to be a witch there as well. Exactly. If Snow White is in a casket and Sleeping Beauty is napping, that yeah. means there's two more witches out there. And she's, and she's played by Betty Buckley and Patty Lapone. And, oh gosh, Act 3. We should do it. Act three, the wit- it, Act three just becomes the witches of Eastwick, but in a fairy tale <laughs> land. And it is Bernadette and Patty and Betty and in hell and hell. And they all won a Tony for an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. And uh, only two of them are OK with that. <laughs> so, I mean, we're not going to I don't want to really go into this like plot point by plot point, song by song, because it will literally take us three hours. and after follies i kind of have made it more about like just you know the songs and the themes and whatnot only because uh sondheim shows become less about the plot this is definitely probably like the most plot driven show he's had since sweeney and those two are like i'd say sweeney night music and woods are his most like most like plotty shows like a lot of events happen yes um yes but unlike uh sweeney and night music into the Woods has uh, very polar opposite acts uh, to the extent that some people think that the second act shouldn't be there, that it doesn't need to be there. Sometimes in grammar schools, it's not. Yes. Well, to be fair, do I want to see a nine-year-old Cinderella's prince seduce a nine-year-old baker's wife? Not in the least. I don't even want to see it in high school, though I saw many high school productions while I was in high school. And, you know, they love to cast 60 dancing trees because... High schools shouldn't do Into the Woods, yet they do it all the time. They shouldn't, and yet they do. And 60 Dancing Trees, that sounds a lot like Tuck Everlasting to me. <laughs> Oof. I probably shouldn't say that anymore because I've now, I've now shaded Tuck Everlasting, I think, three or four times on this podcast. <laughs> Not that it's a I bad show, it. just it was the most unnecessary ensemble of all time. Like it was, That's a six-character musical, and they had a 20-person dancing ensemble for no reason. I didn't see it on Broadway. I saw I saw a lab of it probably three or four years before it came to Broadway. Mm. Don't really remember it, but that's that's all I got. Yeah, that's all you need to know. It's just you know a character. It's the equivalent of a character saying "pass the salt" at the dinner table, and then three dancing trees come on to pass the salt metaphorically to the next person. It was very that. Um, <laughs> like imagine that the gold slipper and the red cape and the yellow hair in into the woods were played by people and every time that they discussed like having to obtain those items those people come out and dance as the items like to show metaphorically the want of the baker and his wife i i don't think we're far off from that production either no no we're not um we bring up those items we should probably say a little more clearly for those of you who don't know into the woods and if you're listening How to this dare pod, you if you don't know into the woods truly point. listen listen I can be okay with you maybe not knowing Sweeney or Follies or, uh, you know, Gypsy, but not knowing Into the Woods and Passion? Who are you? <laughs> was not expecting Passion, but I liked that that I was included in that. So no one was expecting Passion. Yeah. Not even um, Donna Murphy. Donna Mur- another Donna Murphy, yeah. I, I'm recording that episode in two weeks and I'm not... I, I, to be fair, I've not listened to Passion in a long time, but I'm not necessarily looking forward to um, reliving it. <laughs> it's not my fave. 
we'll see. Everyone's got their everyone's got their thing. Uh, but yes, the uh, the two characters that were made up, the baker and his wife, they are told by the witch next door, usually played by a diva like Bernadette, that there's a curse on their house. And in order to break the curse, they have to go into the woods and get four objects. The cow is white as milk. The cape is red as blood. The hair is yellow as corn and the slipper is pure as gold. Bring it back uh, before three midnights and uh, then they can have a child. And they go in and act one is about them getting the items and the items come from all those different fairy tales. Gold slipper is Cinderella. Cow is Jack. Little uh, red cape is little red. Hair is Rapunzel. Um, And everyone goes through their fairy tale in act one, comes out quote unquote happily ever after. And then act two, uh, the wife of the giant that Jack kills comes down and uh, starts killing people and everybody starts blaming each other. And... uh, you know, people grow, people learn, people, people die, die, people burn. And people Bernadette Peters. Bernadette Peters. That is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is a favorite song of yours in this show? Moments in the Woods. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That and um, the I don't I can't remember the title of the justify the beans little maybe they're magic maybe they're magic that little songlet there i love i love that song particularly because it shows that this you know leading woman character in this show is is not 100 percent pure she's not you know she she's not afraid to lie to get what Mm -hmm. she needs and i i kind of like i I, you don't really you hadn't really seen that on stage Mm -hmm. before into the woods this sort of flawed you know, woman with an unlikable quality in a way. She sings it in a way that's so likable. But when you realize in that she will, yes, deceive people to get what she wants, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I love that. And I love that it's presented to me in such a jovial way and in a play on words. I'm trying to think of if there's was a female character in musical theater before Woods that we were supposed to root for that did sort of dishonest things the i mean mama rose essentially but mama rose never really lies in gypsy she's pretty upfront about what she's about she still does reprehensible things but she's she doesn't especially she doesn't lie to like a child yeah i should say well, I guess there's mrs lovett as well sure who... yeah mrs love is about to sacrifice a, a young boy to a demonic barber but that's neither you know, here nor there. <laughs> neither here nor there. By that point, she's already turned people into pies. So, I mean, I don't think yeah, we're necessarily supposed that's to... The ex- root- that's the polar opposite, you know. That's the extreme. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know if we're ever supposed to root for Mrs. Lovett. I think we're supposed to like her, but... Because she's yeah, likable. we're supposed to enjoy her. Yeah. The baker's wife, like, we're supposed to be rooting for her. We want her to succeed. And I don't and think... And we still do, even after she starts... In, even after she lies and mm-hmm. even after she uh, sleeps around. Yes, well, we still, we still like her. Wake up, stop dreaming, stop prancing about the woods. It's not beseeming, what is it about the woods? Back to life, back to sense, back to child, back to husband, you can't live in the woods. There are vows, there are ties, there are needs, there are standards, there are shouldn'ts and shoulds. Why not both instead? There's the answer if you're clever. Have a child for warmth and a baker for bread and a prince for whatever. Never, it's these woods. First of all, 
when you look at the prince, Cinderella's prince, when she sleeps with Cinderella's prince, which again, if you haven't seen Into the Woods, deal with this Boy. conversation. We are we are talking about the show as if everyone here has watched it and listened to it and knows it. We're not going to go over everything. So fucking deal with it. But when she sleeps with Cinderella's prince, depending on who plays the prince, sometimes I'm like, absolutely look at the material. Sometimes I'm like, mm, you probably could have resisted. Totally. But, yeah, I think some there's something about the feeling of like the end of the world where you just get weirdly super horny because it's like well this is the end i might as well use the body i have one last time for uh the pleasure it was designed for that's i have thought that every day of this pandemic (laughs) i have thought that as well um unfortunately i will be dying alone so i just turn my phone onto super high vibrating uh intensity and (laughs) And go to town and go to town close your eyes and think of the queen Think of exactly. England. Think That's of all England. it. That's Think what Olivia I do. Olivia Coleman. Olivia Coleman. I think about Olivia Coleman far too much. Oh yeah, absolutely. Fleabag. I mean, come on. Yes. She's, oh, she's incredible, a, man. What a sad day. What a sad, sad day. I'll get the champagne. <laughs> I can't. Oh, so. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's that scene where she, where she and the baker deceive Jack out of Milky White into giving him beans, magic beans that they really know nothing about. Um, All they know are that they're most likely beans from the witch's garden uh, that are sort of the reason why his family has been cursed. They deceive a very simple and optimistic lad. And, you know, they try, she tries to justify it to herself as to why she's now just sent a young boy home to his starving mother uh, with no money with and not even a cow. Yeah. yeah, and a handful of beans. Yeah. Uh, truly reprehensible when you really think about it. But the scene is so oh, funny, yeah. especially as played by Joanna Gleason, that we kind of forget about it. Yes. You what absolutely, kind... you, you, you're with her. You know? Yeah. Because she, she proves herself to be clever and uh, has a lot of integrity and much more capable than her husband. Uh, you know that without her. Yes, yes. Oh, she goes... She goes against the title of her character the entire yeah. show. I mean, the title is the, she's the baker's wife. She doesn't yes. even get a name. You know, I yes. don't need it as a baker, but she gets the baker's wife. Yes, the baker's and wife, not the famous, along, not the famous Stephen Schwartz musical, but the baker's wife. Patty Lapone vehicle, yes. Yes, I, what, I mean, I know that, I think that might've been uh super hard on Patty when she lost the Tony this year to Joanna Gleason. Not only did she lose to someone who she deemed not a leading character, but it was titled to the Baker's wife. Yep. What goes around comes around <laughs> like crabs, Patty. So yeah. Yeah. It's, I guess because we were invested because we're told like, this is going to be the main driving storyline and we want it to uh, finish. And we know that without her, it's not going to. We've already established how sort of lame the baker is. He can't get the cape from the from Little Red, and he can barely can't remember talk. the ingredients. Can't remember the ingredients. Doesn't know how he's going to go about doing anything. And he's so headstrong, like a man, that he's got to be the one who does it because the spell is on his house only. He can lift the spell. No, no, the spell is on his house. Um, and so we see, we kind of let her, we let the baker's wife go about 
the deceptions that she does because we know she doesn't the story's not going to end like it's just going to keep going on forever and it's like uh, we we need the story end it's like yeah do what you need to do so we can get to a conclusion mm-hmm. um and we've all sort of like you know i don't think anybody at that point in the show cares that much about jack if that's fair because in the prologue they do a good job of sort of establishing that he's a little idiotic and he's very oblivious to the hardships of his life and is not really helpful in the house to his mother he doesn't do anything to contribute so when he's deceived we're like yeah i mean that tracks he's someone who would be deceived and Mm -hmm. if it wasn't gonna be the baker's wife it was gonna be somebody totally oh yeah no he was never getting to market no matter what no she even says no one would have given him more for this creature yeah justifying the beans it justifies the beans. Do you like Milky White being played by an inanimate object or being played by a person? Inanimate object. Agreed. Forever. Yeah, I, don't I don't like a dancing I don't want to cow. see a human near that cow ever. I guess this is goodbye, old pal. You've been a perfect friend. I hate to see us part, old pal. Someday I'll buy you back. I'll see you soon again I hope that when I do It won't be on a plate I would say weird So I wouldn't say it's my favorite song But one of my favorite musical moments of the whole show Because it's the only time musically Where I can sort of sense magic in the air If that makes sense Is Cinderella at the grave Oh, okay And it's very niche choice But when Cinderella goes to visit the grave of her mother Because she wants to go to the ball The King's Festival, three nights in a row she goes to her mother's grave where she planted a branch and it became a tree. And she sings, you know, what should I do? What am I doing wrong? And when she, uh, when her mother says like, tell the tree what you want, I'll get your wish. And she sings the uh, shiver and quiver little tree, the way that like that music sort of escalates totally. and the way that the orchestra comes in. I don't know. Like it's the, it's one of the few times in the show where I'm like, this feels like magic. Um, totally. in the way that a fairy tale has magic. Cause a lot of well, it, it's not. Yeah. I mean, aside from, you know, the witch floating on a chair in the original production, mm-hmm. it's the first bit of magic we see. Yeah. And especially the kind wrong. of magic that we come to think of for fairy tales, like that. Totally. It's that's... the dress appearing. Yeah. In every every fairy tale with a princess, a dress appears, you know? Exactly. I will say, I do really like in the movie when they actually have the dress appear on her and it's actually come, it's made of the leaves. I thought that was very- totally. That was a very nice visual. Very magical. Uh, very magical. And great use of the medium. They're like, you know what? We're in a movie. We're in a movie. We have CGI. We can make yep. this work. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it's Anna, Kend- it's Anna Kendrick. We're going we're gonna to build a dress on her because you don't just throw a dress at Anna Kendrick. You have it appear on her body. Exactly. I want to talk about the prologue for a second. Some might say it's a well-known moment in the show, the prologue. It is, yes. Uh, do you know why it opens with that like giant chord after Once Upon a Time? No, I don't know why. Uh, two reasons, or at least these are from two uh, from an interview that I watched with Sondheim. I cannot remember exactly the interview, so I can't tell you where to find it. So don't ask me. Okay. Uh, so I would appreciate you not yelling at me during this time. Okay, I won't. Apparently. It was his way to sort of jolt the audience awake. So they were kind of thrown off by it. A, so they could start paying attention because it's a big, but um, 
And if you listen to the London cast recording, which I think I sent you a link to, I don't love that. Yeah, I don't love that recording, but the way they do that opening chord is very like Jesus, like it's it's intense. Um, And it's to jolt the audience awake, get them sort of like really paying attention and also kind of informs them this is not going to be a fairy tale that you're used to. You're not going to get the sweeping Cinderella. You're going to get like an orchestra just really blowing your ears open, <laughs> uh, which is which is what it does. And it and it, I don't know. It's like it's a nice kind of uh, yeah. It's a nice way to sort of jolt. The yeah, story I thing. when you know when I listen to the prologue, just in my headphones, not watching it on anything. To mm-hmm. me, it, it reminds me of someone opening a book and letting the cover slam. Mm. like a book of a fairy tale a big heavy book yeah a big heavy book and let it open and it starts off yeah so maybe i mean that's the image it gave me which is sounds like what he intended is something that jolts you awake exactly um or even more than that just having the huge book itself and plopping it on the table of like we're gonna read a story today bam yeah bitches (laughs) i'd say it is musically a bitches once upon a time bitches once upon a time a witch in a far off kingdom yeah we so we've got three sort of story songs that are kind of like explanations to the audience one is i know things now one is giants in the sky and one is on the steps of the palace Mm -hmm. Of I we I would like to discuss on the steps of the palace, but between giants in the sky and I know things now, do you have a preference in discussing either one? Oh man, I I no, I don't have a preference. I should say I don't. She's verse. So <laughs> I'll do giants in the sky because that was um, the first song that Sondheim tried to write for the show, and he couldn't. And that's when Lapine's wife was like, "Don't just tell the story, like." What's their opinion of the story? How has it what changed? What did them? we learn? What did we learn? Yes. Um, and so originally the song was supposed to be sung to the baker, and it was going to be like a "Look what happened to me," and he was like, "I don't like this." You know, what's why is the baker just sort of sitting there for three minutes while he tells this story? And changes into his story to the audience, which then the whole what threads the whole uh song together is we're constantly checking in with how jack is feeling in the moment what he's learning in the moment what he learns after the fact um and it's a nice exciting song and uh young tenor boys have been singing it in auditions ever since to the chagrin of pianists because it's a fucking hard song to play yeah it's funny you say that he originally sang it to the baker because isn't that what he does in the movie he does do it in the movie and little red sings i know things now to the baker as well yes um the audience yeah it's interesting because on the steps of the palace in the movie, they put in present tense, which I think was a really good choice for the movie. Um, it's one of the few times where a song is just in from its stage adaptation to its movie adaptation, where they really sort of rethink how they're going to tell it uh, and then make it work for the medium. A lot of times they either go too safe or they go totally batshit and like the opposite direction. We're like, what were you thinking? Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a happy medium there. Uh the stage show, you know, she's very much presenting it to the audience. This is what I like about this song is that it kind of encapsulates the whole first act in it. The idea of just sort of these characters who are indecisive and don't actually want to put any pressure on themselves and would rather just have things happen to them that are good and like make have the decisions be made for them. 
mm-hmm. and not get their selves uh, dirtied with uh, the consequences of making a right or wrong decision, literally of getting, you know, stuck in the goo as yeah. Cinderella does. Cause you know, I don't know. So like, again, for anyone who doesn't know, and I said, I was going to leave you in the dark if you didn't, but whatever uh, Cinderella goes to the festival three nights in a row, she keeps running away and Sondheim and Lapine were like, why would this girl keep running away where a prince is super into her and like go back to where she's a slave. It makes no sense to us. So they tried to go into sort of the psyche of Cinderella and the idea that she feels like a fraud. And if the prince really knew who she was, maybe he would reject her, um, which is why she keeps kind of running away, then coming back because she just doesn't like her current life. And he is a very smart prince. One might say he's a prince who prepares. And he knew that this time she'd run from him. So what does he do? He spreads pitch on the stairs. Yes, he do. And she was caught unawares. What was important to Sondheim and Lapine was to sort of really express Cinderella's indecisiveness and why it is that she keeps running away and coming back and what it is that she's trying to achieve or express. And the song ends in this way where they're like, we left it so that way that she leaves the shoe. It's not an accident, it's a decision. She's leaving it for him to find. I know what my decision is, which is not to decide. I'll just leave him a clue. For example, a shoe. And then see what he'll do. Now it's he and not you who'll be stuck with a shoe in a stew, in the goo. And I've learned something too. Something I never knew On the steps of the palace I want to know, what does she learn at the end of the song? Because all she does is she takes the pressure of making a decision off her shoulders and puts it on the prince's shoulders. Oh, that's it. Uh, well. Which well, is her whole, that's her intention by doing that, by the way. And that's not even like me saying that stupid bitch. Like, she means to do that. She says it out loud. I don't want to decide, so I'm going to let him decide. So what oh, does she yeah, learn? You learn something new, something you never knew. Well, I think she's learning that this is just me thinking about it for the first time ever. So... Thank you for broaching that. It's a very interesting question. I think she's learning that she can be brave. She can be coy. She can be flirtatious. And she can, in effect, make choices that she wants to make. Might not be a decision, perhaps, but Mm -hmm. she made a choice and she thought, can do this. And stepmother can't say no. No one can tell me no. I want to do this. So that's my gut reaction to that question is that I feel like she, she learns that she has a, a, in a side of her that's completely individual that can make choices that could benefit her or she could get away with it. It may not be something very decisive, but up until then, I, I would say she is also in a very abusive relationship with her step family, you know? I think that's a very hot take to have to there, Kevin, to... that Cinderella's in an abusive relationship with her family. 
You don't think so? I mean, no, they I, make absolutely, her a no, I absolutely do. Oh, <laughs> I was. I, you sounded sincere. I didn't get your sarcasm. I'm there. just a really, really um, good actor. This entire time, I made you think that I so like musicals. Oh my god, you're ready. This you're is my Christine is, Baranski. Um, listen, movies were. Everyone talks about how movies were shut down due to COVID. Movies really shut down the moment Christine Baranski said, "In Mamma Mia, here we go again." Be still my beating vagina. That's when movies <laughs> shut down. Really? Because I thought that's when we hit the golden age. Um, no, no I, 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 I'm i saying all movies shut down after that going, we can't touch this. We can't top that. Yeah. Par- parasite was like, call me a bottom. I can't top that. I can't. Be still my beating parasite. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's a, re- it's, a re- it's a revelation in terms of that she can rescue herself mm-hmm. in a way. She doesn't need to, uh, she can leave something. For, she can be a little flirtatious. She can be a little brave. She can rescue herself. She can get out of this herself without, you know, someone trapped her. She was literally trapped. Mm. She was stuck in goo and she got out of it herself. I think that's a very interesting analysis, and I think you're 100 percent wrong. That's no, I'm, I'm absolutely fucking with you. Once again, so convincing. Um, to show you how convincing I can be, I'm going to be straight the rest of this podcast. So, uh, oh, my God. Cindy, my girl, Cindy, she. <laughs> no, I I think that's fair. I when you bring up an interesting point that I never thought of, sort of the distinction between a choice and a decision, and how they're not necessarily the same, but they kind of get blended together a lot. Well, you think about the lyrics from Move On and Sunday. Uh, the choice may have been mistaken. The choosing was not. Mm-hmm. Which is a, a Sondheim thing in a lot of his shows. Is is The choice may have been the wrong one, but someone did it on purpose. Someone chose to, to make that choice. Yeah. Well, it's about learning from the mistakes of your past choices so you can start making better ones in the future. And characters, I don't want to like generalize that everyone makes a bad choice in act one people make some good choices it's just you know in the same way that uh we kind of on social media will like point out the like weirdness of certain fairy tales and disney movies you know um people like beauty and the beast stockholm syndrome and aladdin gaslighting jasmine and all this stuff and i'm like yeah kind of uh woods kind of does the same thing with act two of like hey these things that we laughed at and were totally on board with in act one, cause it was the height of theatricality. Like we're seeing the real world consequences of that now. Like, Oh, maybe you... I shouldn't have stolen from the giant. Yes. Maybe yeah. I should all make selfish choices in the first, in the first act. Yeah. Which I think we can relate to because we've all made selfish choices. Oh, totally. That's choices. part of the show is that we can relate to these people going after what they want and the fallout of who you may have heard along the way if you mm-hmm. really have tunnel vision about what you want. It's absolutely about tunnel vision, 100%. And th- what's interesting is that the character of the witch is just as guilty as everyone else, but what makes her different is she's at least aware and honest about it. She's the first one to kind of like understand her fault in everything and uh, be realistic about what's ahead and what she can do about it and and where she's at it takes everybody else in the show much longer to accept any sort of responsibility and oh yeah it takes the witch dying yeah for them to accept it and 
I mean, you know, we're going to go all over the place. <laughs> so last midnight, I would. So I said one of my favorite moments of music is Cinderella at the Grave. My favorite song is actually Last Midnight because it's such a great point to make. And it's just like, I just feel like in any argument that you can get online with someone, like you just have to recite the lines of Last Midnight to them and just maybe tweak the word so it's specifically about them. But the point will get across because the point is made so well. Um, you know, you're when the shit's hit the fan and people are dying. Wake up, people are dying all around you. You're not the only one to suffer a loss. And then when you're dead, you're dead. Just classic Bernie, very stepmother and Cinderella. Bernadette. Classic Bernadette. Classic Bernadette. Yes, this you'll is... always be common. Uh, Kevin, that's like, this is maybe the fourth episode where the Bernadette common speech has been referenced because it's just such iconography. It's, it is, it, that... That movie, that television movie, I, I mean, I, it should be in the AFI Institute, or whatever it's called, or, or the AFI. Yeah, AFI Top 100. Like the, yeah, Top 100. It's that idea of, of that Bernadette back when she was in her prime, where she could find ways to make these weird choices on line deliveries that still worked and were true to the character and to the story and to the production. That kind of got away from her later on. Um, if you watch some of her in Night Music, she makes some odd vocal inflections, and then it just gets worse with follies but in woods i think she's just so laser focused on the witch's anger and it's a justifiable anger so she's not like morally upright she's just so frustrated she she's at her wits end with these people who don't who are completely useless to her like totally i mean she she didn't lose the beans they were stolen from her and then she was still punished she's cursed with age and ugliness mm -hmm. while she's in her prime so i mean bitterness is the tip of the iceberg well she just keeps losing because then she when she gets her youth and beauty back she loses her powers she loses her powers oh classic classic and then you know loses her daughter which you know that one is kind of her fault yeah that is her fault for sure she was totally abusive Yes, but it's an example of tunnel vision in a way. And it's not me justifying her uh, keeping Rapunzel captive, but you can sort of see why she would do it because, uh, or at least why that character would do it, how, how she would react to um, being a mother. The outside world being what it is and what she thinks of it and what people are capable of. And she loves this child so much that she wants to protect her from everything, absolutely everything, which you can understand even if you're like, you. first of all, you can never protect them from everything and to completely um, close them off is just causes as much damage as if they were to go out into the world and experience all the, you know, bumps. In fact, it, it damages them, damages them totally. more so as we see with Rapunzel in Act 2 when she goes absolutely yeah. AWOL. I just love that. Oh yeah, Pamela Winslow. I want to give. I want to take a special moment to shout out Pamela Winslow in the original Broadway company. Rapunzel is a small role in terms of stage time. She makes the most of it. She eats everything, and I, I love it. There's a lot of hesitancy in the way that Pamela Winslow goes in for that hug with Bernadette at the end of "Stay with Me," where it's her desire to be loved by her mother and to feel safe overpowers any fear she has and reluctance to 
be around her still and 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 um any understanding she has like danger might be around the corner for her uh and get the worst haircut of all time which you know i can relate pamela oh uh oh come on what it's a bad haircut that she gets oh not i'm talking about your haircut thank you that's what this was about i was waiting for the moment where you would compliment me Thank you. Yes. This this whole episode is just going to be me constantly catfishing you into complimenting me. Exactly. So, okay. So watch how I I, take, I will stay on track. I watch I'm going to take all of your fault. I'm going to find a way for you to compliment my whistle tone. <laughs> I'm assuming you have no children of your own. Correct. And I'm assuming you do have parents. I do. Yes. The show deals obviously with parents and children as, you know, fairy tales are meant for children. They're morals and supposedly lessons i'm not entirely sure what the lesson of snow white is but you know well i i'm not either actually take that drink at the party and your prince will wake you up uh when you fall asleep oh i like that one okay i get it now yeah no it's um it's the antithesis of promising young woman (laughs) have you seen that yes i have uh i loved it so yeah i won't stop talking about it uh but so there, I mean, we have, you know, the baker and his wife and how they want a child. We have Cinderella who doesn't really know parental love anymore. We have the witch who has Rapunzel as her daughter, uh, Jack and his mother, and then the baker and his wife having their own child. And then the baker having to step up and become a father in act two. And then a single parent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, by the end of the show, it's the idea. It's, it's, it's the embodiment of it takes a village because by the end of the show, we have uh, four standing characters left and they're all there to help raise this one baby. And the fact that it's going to take all four of them tells you something. Totally. You know, the song Children Will Listen, in the show, to me, always stood out as not quite fitting into the show, even though it's always the song that's like now sung at you know graduations and things like you know like weird events will sing children will listen and it's like you know when someone writes the song for the movie adaptation just to get the oscar nomination Mm -hmm. that's how i've kind of all children will listen has never yelled for you yeah and it's never plucked any of my heartstrings and i don't know if it's because i don't have kids or my I've got a good relationship with my parents and I you know wasn't a I wasn't a bad kid growing up so I don't know if it just missed my life journey whatever thing but it's mm-hmm. always felt like the song that Sondheim would have wrote for the movie adaptation to get an Oscar right Th- that's fair and that's actually something we'll get into with the re- reviews when we finish I mean, I also don't have kids. I don't really like kids. Although last week I did have a pregnancy scare. And. Oh no. I know. Just turns out I was late, but it, yeah. <laughs> it but it's fine. No babies for me. Uh, yeah. It's, it's sort of supposed to be like the moral of the story. Angela Lansbury even says in the Tony performance, like, and the moral of the tale, children will listen, but. I don't know if it's be- if it's the song itself, the fact that it's usually sung by the witch and therefore it kind of feels like an afterthought um, or like a mm-hmm. uh, stuck on piece. Well, yeah, it's, it's, sung, it's sung by, you know, the witch sings the version where children don't listen. Yes. 
Um, and then after she's, you know, dead, I say that with quotes because of course, I mean, unless you've learned that she in fact dies or she mm. goes onto some different form of punishment from her mother, um, she He's... sings it again at the end of the show, but with children will listen. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I kind of don't consider her the witch we knew. In a weird way, I don't even think of it as the witch singing it. I think that's of what it, I mean. Yeah, I think of it. Yeah, feels I think like it's, Bernadette's coming out with a microphone, you know. Perfect. Yeah, it's like a weird meta moment where the cast stops being the characters and then they just sort of sing. they're the storytellers. Yeah, it's like, yes, exactly. It's sort of the story's over. And in case you didn't understand what we were trying to tell you, here's what it is. It's the yeah. storyteller in the court telling the little children after saying Little Red Riding Hood, okay, so maybe this is a little opaque. So let me just tell you, there's going to be someone who's going to ask if you want to get candy in the back of their caravan. Don't do it. Well, there's there's also that element in the show of it being, I don't want to say like a theater troupe of actors putting on a show, but they, they do break the fourth wall, grab the narrator and feed him to the giant. Yes. How do you feel about that storytelling wise? Well, I think it... I think you, you, I, it, my gut reaction when I first saw it was that it was funny. Yeah. As, as it was directed in that PBS original cast version, it's, mm -hmm. it's made me laugh. Mm -hmm. In terms of the, I don't know if I like it or not. I like the sort of unmoors all the characters from mm -hmm. uh, a backbone or like a direction pointer. There's no one there to comment on what happened or tell them what's about to happen. They're sort of like their sail is gone. Now they're just in a boat in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. And also gives way for that moment at the end of the show where they're all singing children will listen and everyone is back. And they're not ghosts. They're characters. Everyone becomes a narrator. Characters. Almost. Everyone becomes the storyteller. Yeah. Um, as opposed to the, story characters so i i think i like the element only because of it really unmoors and that's when everyone starts dying after yeah. him yeah he he is i think the yeah he's the first official death in the show i don't i can't remember if jack's mom gets hit on the head before that happens or after that happens no, i think after. it's after it's after yeah, yeah he's the first official death um and it's a weirdly comical death i think because that's he the narrator is not a character that we are emotionally invested in and in fact up until then we always thought it was sort of a plot device in the way that they are for fairy tales yeah and yeah with the original production it is staged in a way that is very funny because until then no one ever acknowledges the presence of the narrator which is a mistake a lot of productions have done since where they make jokes with people and the narrator mm -hmm. and in order for the joke of them feeding him to the giant to land it needs to sort of feel like this last resort where yeah. they've exhausted when they're looking for someone to sacrifice to the giant they are exa they've exhausted every option it's you it's no it's you no it's me no it's her and then they turn like oh wait a second this person we who we have ignored this entire time who's standing right there and it's the audience being like oh they see it too cool 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 um i always wondered I feel like sort of the aesthetic of the show should change the moment the narrator dies. And I've never seen a production where that really happens. Whether like it's the like physical aesthetic of the show. Yeah. Like whether it's the lighting or something with the set, like I just think something needs to shift because yeah. nothing ever really does. You're right. 
I saw a production of Into the Woods at the Stratford Festival in Canada, probably 15 or, or 22, not 22, 15 or 17 years ago. How can that and, be, Kevin? You're only 21 years old. Oh my God, I saw it when I was two. Um, Such progressive parents. Yes. Uh, and we all went as a family because we loved the show so much. Right. And we drove up and saw it and we all ended up hating it because they made the entire show white. The trees were just white columns. The stage was white. All the costumes were white, except for the witch who was literally, her costume was her garden. Mm. So like her old and ugliness was like, she had, you know, nectarines for boobs and, you know, you can see my nectarines, those kind of things. Oh my God. Um, And then after she took the potion, she didn't become young and beautiful. She like the outfit she was in was like Agatha Trunchbull. It was like a riding crop and things like that. It was just the whole thing didn't work. And it was all white. I don't know. I don't know what my point is with this is that, is that it, I don't think people should, it's not a show you should really fuck with too much. Yeah. We'll get into this with the legacy. Um, and you know what? We might as well just get there. We've been, cause we've been talking about the show sort of mishmashy. Uh, and I have another episode where I do talk about into the woods uh, from like a year or two ago before I started doing the Sondheim thing with uh, suddenly Seymour. Cause that, uh, oh. yeah, Sutton, yes. Sutton, she's a great gal, but I don't know how much of it we talked about it there because it was like maybe two years ago at this point that we discussed it. So I can't remember, but yeah, it's designs of into the woods uh, is where I sort of want to get into with the legacy and and with directors and whatnot. But it's something that I don't even think it happens in the original production. Like the, the, the set design does become more sparse later on. It becomes sort of more of a clearing after a while, but I don't think that's because of the narrator. I think it's literally just because the giant has caused so much destruction. Totally. Um, yeah. There's also, there's discussion that Sondheim sort of wanted to clear up. I don't know if you've read finishing the hat or look, I made a hat. I did when they came out. So it's been a while. So it's fresh in my mind again, because I researched this shit. He said people always ask him like what the giant was supposed to represent, uh, because when Into the Woods came out, it was sort of at the height of uh, the epidemic with, uh, it was at the height of the AIDS epidemic, where Uh people were just like dying in droves and a lot really wasn't still known of it. And people thought, oh, the giant's a metaphor for the AIDS crisis, right? And they're like, uh, 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 and then um, in 2002 with the next revival they're like oh it's a metaphor for 9-11 right and he's like uh, uh, and every time people are like oh it represents this it represents that and he's and finally in finishing the hat he's like it's a giant we meant for it to be a giant um, yeah it's not representative of anything it can have parallels to real life stuff so like there were parallels to the AIDS crisis there were parallels to uh, 9-11 uh, he said he, 9-11 is probably a little more apt because uh, the giant is not this natural cause that just sort of happens upon these people it is an it is a result of a specific action that happened in act one it is mm-hmm. uh, cause and effect it's a consequence yes which I'm not trying to say that 9-11 was a consequence but rather that <laughs> um, it was it was a reaction to 
America. It was not totally. like, yeah, it was not like, oh, a change in the wind. Like it yeah, was, no, a, it I... was a terrorist attack. Yeah. Um, I mean, don't say that to Marion Cotillard, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, final thoughts. Any other songs? We didn't cover that many songs, as many songs as I thought we would. Any songs that you just sort of want to bring up for a second? Oh, gosh. Oh, my. Um, I I mean, Moments in the Woods. I, I said mm-hmm. that before, but we didn't really talk about it. I, I It's one of those songs that, I mean, it encapsulates what kind of we're talking about. So many people see Into the Woods and they take different things from it for themselves that they they got out of it you know mm-hmm. you can take it blatantly as this is a fairy tale show or you can take it as a thousand different allegories like for me a lot of into the woods um is what going to the theater is all about is going into the woods is going to the theater for me you go in mm-hmm. there you have all this magical stuff happen and you know you might see destruction and death on stage and you leave and it makes you appreciate the life that you have or you go in and you see all this magic on stage and it you know inspires you or elates you and that to the show was always to me is like into the woods is going into the theater for me it, it, it's kind of like we go in there to escape or to find something or to reveal something or to experience something and I think moments in the woods is like the mini version of all that you can kind of take something out of there that means only something to you about that song um mm. and it's of course it has its blatant meanings it has its what it's its textbook meanings but i i think it was with an maybe it was a podcast with joanna gleason i was listening to or some something where someone was describing that even though in the script woods is spelled out w-o-o-d-s the listener might hear it as the um the article like wood or mm. could and that that's okay too if they take the woods as what if i had done this the what ifs the would would i have joined in would i have backed out and that that's what i love about that song is that sondheim said even though this is what it says on the page listeners will hear something different mm. even if it's the physical trees that i am talking about they might think about it as a would i have done the same thing as she did right that's that's my gay little corner of that song in your gay little corner i yeah no that's very true i while you were talking about it and i was thinking about what you were saying i kind of realized it's sort of it's similar to steps of the palace in, in a lot of ways where it's a character who is stuck between two places and mm-hmm. has to make a decision and a choice both has to make a choice and a decision um and unlike steps of the palace the baker's wife does make a decision which is to go back to her husband uh Mm -hmm. hold on to the moment that she just had which was sleep with a prince and know that you know it's not that life is unsustainable but and you know trying to get that moment back will do nothing for me but if i can treasure that moment for what it was it will allow me to be more in my present life um and it's a yeah, appreciate it's a, what i already have make uh knowing that you've had an and when you're back to or makes the or mean more than it did before it's the kind of song that all the four characters and follies should have heard 
30 years before Follies takes place. Oh, shoot. God damn it, Steve. You wrote Moments in the Woods 20 years too late. Yep. Or I guess 15 years too late. I don't know. What is time? But yeah, yeah, no, it's... And again, I, I, I recorded Follies like four days ago. So again, that's also in my brain. But... Yeah, it's just, uh, it's a very healthy song in a show where I feel like a lot of the characters other than the witch, and even she doesn't have that many, most characters don't really have a healthy song. They've got beautiful songs, delightful songs, and 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 they all fit in the theme of the show. But when you think about them, like, they're not that healthy. Like, they don't... No, 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 no. They, they, they all still have lessons to learn after those songs. yeah. And Moments in the Woods, I think, is the first, like, real healthy song. And they say, and they even say, like, once she sings the song, it's like, she has to die because there's nothing, le- like, she's outgrown the story by that point. Totally. She, yeah, she gets it. She, she got it. And then she gets it. <laughs> when you say got it, you meant the D, right? She got the D? Yeah, well, I got it. That's what she says. Yes. And then she gets it. Yes. And she then gets wood. It. Then she gets the then she gets the woods. Yes. And then she leaves the woods forever. Yes. Well, I got it. Well, I got it. Uh, Lisa Kudrow playing the Baker's wife. That would have been something back in the day. Uh, you know, this is the Baker's wife has always been to me in my my meaningless opinion about things. I have I hold no weight anywhere in the world, but I have always personally thought that Joanna Gleason perfected the role and it just it can't be done again as well yeah it's i think there are certain actresses like i i actually i think regina king would have been a phenomenal baker's wife Mm -hmm. or could be still but like i don't think anyone will do it as well it's hard for me to say what an actor could or couldn't do because every time that i'm like oh i don't know if the actor could handle this i remind myself it's just because I haven't seen them do it before because totally. So like, I, I'm not sure if Regina King would be able to, uh, uh, I don't, I don't know the right word to say, uh, right word to say here. Cause I keep thinking of her in, uh, Ray and Jerry oh. Maguire and American crime where she's like a very tough, uh, emboldened individual and when I think of the Baker's Wife, I think a lot of that, but I also sort of think a little wacky. And I have to remind myself, just because I haven't seen Regina King be wacky doesn't mean she can't be wacky. I'm sure she can. Totally. She's oh, Regina King. Look at the material. I always, I always thought as well, Jane Kaczmarek back in the day. Ding dong. Yes. Ah, uh, I'm on such a Malcolm in the Middle kick right now. Uh, she could, she would have been a great wife. She would have been a great Baker's Wife. I... Well, so we'll get into that but in a second. Me, the, role, the role is almost, the role to me is almost shelved. Like you can do Into the Woods again, have fun, good luck, but she yeah. kind of made a click and you're not going to be able to find any better choices than what she found. Exactly. Pissed all over it. Uh, it's just, yeah. yeah. So yeah. So let's sort of, let's leave the woods so we can talk about the woods a little bit more. Uh, as I said, the show opens in November of 1987. Opens to pretty decent reviews uh clive barnes uh in the post said that the book is adroit the lyrics are dazzling finds the show refreshing uh alan wallach of newsday loved the second act but not the first which is a total inverse of most people wow yeah well i think 
because but by this point so many critics were used to Sondheim sort of exploring a darker uh more complex uh realm and a lot of critics thought that act two was more like okay yeah like this is Sondheim like that act one like that was cute or whatever but act two is where it's at and then a lot of people who maybe aren't as used to Sondheim come in and like oh act one is awesome but like what the fuck's up with act two so it's interesting how over time that has sort of you know, inverse itself um totally weirdly enough frank rich who is like the biggest Sondheim devotee and was like the reason why sunday in the park with george was able to run as long as it did he didn't like the show very much he thinks that the idea is brilliant and he's like there are times when it hits that brilliance but he finds it um a little messy and convoluted and he speaking of children will listen he's like it's so weird because bernadette peters is doing such a great job as the witch and her presence is very much needed on a theatrical level for this show. Like we need someone like Bernadette Peters to sort of keep the show going. It's she's like sort of the theatrical motor of the show. He's like, however, the character of the witch, he just doesn't find um, justifiable. He thinks that she's sort of added on and he goes, and it's made so clear by the end when Bernadette Peters comes in to sing children will listen. Cause it just feels like Bernadette Peters coming in and going, Thank you. This one goes out to the mother, the fathers, and the children out there. So everybody. Everybody. So everybody, <laughs> Celine. Um, <laughs> so it, it's interesting. When you talked about the children will listen, and I said, we'll bring it up again. Like, this is what I mean. Like, Frank Rich had the exact same thought you did, which he was like, already there are times in the show where he's not totally sold. Uh, moments that he does love and moments that he doesn't. But he says that song just sort of made him go, this sort of just really underlines the fact that I don't think that Bernadette Peters, at least her character, shouldn't be in this show. And it feels like a star role for a star. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's fair in some ways because the witch's role has sort of become this like covetous, coveted role in the show. Totally. Like, this is the role that can steal the show. You get the big laughs, you get the big the, song. Yeah, the great songs. Some of us don't like the way you've been telling it. Yes. <laughs> just so good. We talk about choices. This whole cast makes such phenomenal oh, choices. Pile of choices. You can talk to birds. You can talk to birds. Dan- Daniel Furland. I mean, we talk about Joanna Gleason, but really there, there are so many other roles that have had so many amazing performances done, but like this original cast is pretty top to bottom exceptional. Totally. Yeah. Um, the show runs for about two years. It wins three Tony Awards, score, book, and actress. Uh, they lose musical. Do you know who they lose musical to? The Phantom of the Opera. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the other two musicals that year were? I do not. Romance, Romance. Oh, clearly. Clearly. Have you heard of that one? I've heard of it. I don't know nothing about it. It's cute. It's, you know, it's whatever. It's Alison Frazier's first Tony nomination, so we allow it. Yeah. And then the second one is a show called Sarafina. I've heard of that too. And now it's a restaurant. Yeah. So that's with an E. Oh yeah. Yes. Uh, but I'm in the same boat. Sometimes I, I have to go Sarafina because I want to make sure people don't think that I'm. Don't uh, confuse me. <laughs> yes, exactly. But uh, that one, it was also the same year as Chess. Uh, so we have Judy Kuhn in the best actress category, but Chess oh. is not nominated for score. Oh, uh, yeah, Best Actress that year was pretty stacked. We had Joanna Gleason, Judy Kuhn, Patti Lapone, and Alison Frazier. That's a good... That's a wonderful mix. And an, yeah. 
like a one that I feel like we've seen many times since in a way. Yeah. Well, you look at it and you're like, of course, Sarah Brightman wasn't going to crack that top four for best actress. I said it before, I'll say it again. Look at the material. But <laughs> you, I want to say this. I want to come back to what you were saying about Joanna Gleason. So you know that Patty is still pissed. She didn't win a Tony this year, right? Mm-hmm. She still talks about it. Well, she um, talked about it at her uh, Gypsy Tony. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's been 29 years. And she talks about it in her memoir. Uh, she thought she was having an acid trip. Oh, Joanna Gleason looked like the Tin Man. It's like... God, shut up, Patty. Um, <laughs> I do love her, but she is Broadway sangria drinking soccer mom. <laughs> um, but so she says it wasn't a lead role. She was great, but mine was a lead role. And some people still have that mentality of like, well, Patty should have won because Reno Sweeney's a lead. And I'm sort of in the camp with you, with Joanna Gleason, in the sense that I don't think anyone's ever done the Baker's Wife as well as Joanna Gleason ever has. And it's one of those things where similar to like Ellen Green and Little Shop where the part Mm -hmm. is sort of, it's not necessarily written for that person, but once that person came on board, it was all sort of tailored to them. And they, it was the double-edged sword of being the first one who made all the correct choices with the role. And the downside of like, well, once a role has been originated to perfection and captured as well, so everyone can see it. Um, like in that PBS broadcast, now product uh, performances of the Baker's Wife, people are either imitating or they're trying to go against what Joanna Gleason did to do something different. And it's a losing battle either way. And it's not oh, fair right. to these talented actresses who can do so much with so many other things. It's just uh, between and, a rock and a hard place. And, and all of us gays, we have those original choices ingrained. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like we expect the person to fail. Yeah. Well, I'm... Which is terrible. It is terrible. Well, we're gays in theater and we have a weird shot in Freud about that, which is not great. We need to train ourselves better. But so Joanna Gleason, while Patty says, you know, I was a lead, Reno Sweeney has been done since where we're not finding actresses failing compared to Patty. We're like, oh, as good, maybe even better in some ways. Joanna Gleason has perfected that role in such a way that that performance was the rightful Tony winner in my eyes because of that. Oh God. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I it's again, it's between a rock and a hard place. It's double-edged sword. You're damned if you do damned if you don't, I expect every actress who plays the Baker's wife to do. I've never lied to royalty before, but I don't want to tell them. Tell Yep. What kind of magic? Tell them. just, these these deliveries that are so uh, grounded in the character and make so much sense and are so iconic and work so well and it's the best that a line reader can go with these things. I don't know, like I've seen so many actresses do it and and fail. I, and again, talented actresses. Amy Adams, I saw her do it in the park. And to be it's fair, just, that whole it's just hard. It's a, it's you are absolutely right. Like she made all the right choices, and it's on you can watch it whenever you want. Like there's mm-hmm. a, a filmed version of it that's shown in high schools. It's shown everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a go-to thing. And so you, and they're such smart choices that they're burned into your cerebellum mm. because they're so funny and they're so right that anytime you see into the woods from then on, you will think of Joanna's delivery and you mm-hmm. just, it's, you can't escape it. And it's a, it's a curse for all those who go on to play it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but ever who wouldn't give, I mean, I would give anything to play that role. I never will, but like what actress wouldn't want to give it, get to have a crack at the Baker's wife. I mean, it's such a phenomenal role, but it's, yeah, it's one of those things where once you get into it and you real and you realize almost too late, Oh, the yeah. material's amazing, but yeah. Well, I mean, that's why Amy Adams did it. I mean, yeah, it's the Baker's wife. It's it, the there's ba- not, there's not many chances to do a first class production of into the woods. So like, when it comes along, especially as the years go by, since the like more and more, I think celebrities will want to tackle that role. Yeah. Uh, so this goes into a little bit more of the legacy with Woods. It has it makes money. It's one of the few Sondheim shows to actually make money when it opens on Broadway. It has a national tour that comes out as the show is still playing because the show runs for almost two years. They have a production in London, uh, which adds the song Our Little World for Rapunzel and the witch because they're like, oh, we don't have a moment where we see the Rapunzel and the witch happy. And we want to have a song that shows that. I don't care for this song. No. Yeah. It, I just don't think it adds anything. Um, no. And yeah. Do you, have, did, did you see any of the clips that I sent you from that London production? I did. I watched, I watched uh, the last midnight and I watched the very British Hello, little girl. That was so British. So British. So yeah. British. So dry. So long and so draw. Panto. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it kind of goes into where I want to go to with these other things because we have another revival, the Donmar Warehouse. We have the Broadway revival in 2002, the Fiasco production, which is not me saying the production was a fiasco. That's the name of the people that produced name it. Of the people that did it. Yes. And then it was done at the Regents Park Open Air Theater, which uh, came to New York at Central Park. We have the Disney movie version, uh, which you know, people like or they bemoan. I think it's a good movie version. I think what, similar to Joanna Gleason with The Baker's Wife is, it didn't do anything exceptionally new with the piece, so it can't really stand on its own. It's a very um, traditional and perfectly fine, surprisingly well-sung movie version with Hollywood actors, but we have the PBS version, and which is so iconic that it's like, well, we don't really need this other one. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that it, it made money, though. Like, I'm happy people, more people than ever saw the story. Yeah. Of, and, sing, and, and learn the songs. And, and the movie adaptation could have been so much worse. Then, yeah. Well, like, the original oof. intention was in the early 90s uh, to have Jim Henson was going to make all these the puppets. puppets. Yep. Yeah. With some really weird and amazing casts for these readings. Uh, Goldie Hawn is the baker's wife. Cher is the witch. Robin yes. Williams is the baker. Crazy. Amazing. 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 One where Meg Ryan was the baker's wife. I actually would have liked to have seen a young Meg Ryan do the baker's wife. Yeah. Um, but I, actually, I also actually really like Emily Blunt's baker's wife. She is perhaps one of my favorites after Gleason where, again, not perfect, can't touch Gleason, but she does a very strong job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... What I wanted to say sort of as we round this up is Woods, and you talked about this with the Stratford production, Into the Woods has become one of those Sondheim shows where for me, it's become really smart students who want to write a thesis paper, decide they're going to direct a production of Into the Woods instead. <laughs> and it becomes about how it's going to look, how they're going to find all these metaphors, how they're going to parallel things, you know, oh, the Regent's Park production was, you know, oh, when the wolf devoured the little girl, it's he's it's a 20 year old red and he's eating her out yeah and 
it's it becomes about how clever the director is, how clever the designers are, how you can make it different, how you can find all these symbols and metaphors. And it takes away from the story, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it has to be so literal, but that people forget that there are human beings in the show. It's sort of like the show is written to be, you know, to remind you, this is a fairy tale and these are actual humans in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, have, who are complex with actual wants and feelings and thoughts and make mistakes. And I feel like sometimes productions of Woods now have gone so off the deep end where the characters are pawns in a grand scheme of things. And it's why so many people now roll their eyes when they think of Into the Woods. They go, oh, that boring show. <laughs> like, no, you just saw a production that was so up its own asshole. You don't. <laughs> really know into the woods and i guess because the show is a fantastical show it provides those opportunities totally but it bothers me still like i don't know people don't do that with um night music uh or company they do it with sweeney a bit but they still make the characters and sweeney characters they will have more fun with like how to play it but it's you know they still remember the story into the woods i feel like people forget about the story totally I completely agree. I think it's I think it's a tricky line to walk. Mm-hmm. For, so, for now. <laughs> so because we got to wrap up because Kevin's a busy, busy boy who's got to leave right after this. Um, I got to <laughs> wrap this up as, as quickly as we wrap up at the end of Into the Woods. Rapid fire questions, Kevin. Bring it on. The Sondheim rhyme. What is your favorite lyric in the show? Um, maybe they're really magic. Who knows? Love it. Um, God, that's good. Where does this rank for you in the Sondheim canon? Oh, I, I think, uh, I mean, it's favorite in my nostalgic life sense. I think Sweeney's my, the, like, up there. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, Sweeney, and I think Into the Woods right after that. You know what that is? That is Saturday Night Erasure right there. <laughs> we are you, so You caught me. I, that's. I've been shaming you this entire episode while also demanding that you compliment me. So I'm truly, you know, I'm straight out of Into the Woods myself. I had a dream cast. Who would you cast in this show? Who do you most want to see? Oh, God. Um, you mentioned Regina. Regina King, I think, would be a phenomenal baker's wife. Um, I, 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 uh, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think... Yeah, that's the one I can like nail down right now. If I had to like cast a movie version of this again, it would be her. And I would put Jennifer Coolidge probably as Jack's mother or the stepmother. I think stepmother um, 100%. Um, I would probably put Niecy Nash somewhere in there. She is just so phenomenal. I don't know what she would be, but I just can watch her in anything. Who is um, she? Niecy Nash is... Well, my favorite show of hers was Getting On, but she was also in Green Island One. She's um, uh, on Claws. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, She's phenomenal. But yeah, Jennifer Coolidge for sure. Catherine O'Hara would be a phenomenal witch. Mm. Um, And, oh God, I don't even, I don't even know. Um, Oh, that's all I got. Okay, those are good ones. I keep trying to find uh, in the back of my brain Cinderella's out there because I like the idea 
I like the sort of the concept that they're trying to go for with Anna Kendrick, which is like, she's someone who looks like a princess, but she seems awkward because she's not really a princess. Like she's, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't know how to be one, which is yeah. that sort of become Anna Kendrick's MO of like, I know guys that I'm hot, but like, I don't feel hot. So like, forgive yeah. <laughs> me as if I don't like walk around hot, um, <laughs> which we, which we love. We, we love to see it. Um, because Sondheim shows tend to get stripped down to their essentials in order to get produced anymore, how would you downsize this show? The title of this category, by the way, is called um, The Little Things slash There Won't Be Trumpets. <laughs> um, oof. I would downsize it by... Um... Oh, God. I, I, you know, there has been so much downsizing of Sondheim lately that I... I don't think I can answer that question. I don't want to downsize it. I, 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 the next time I want to see Sweeney Todd, I want the full orchestra. I want the next time I see Into the Woods, I want the full orchestra, the full cast. Like I know it will never sell, but just do it for two months and give me the full thing because I've never seen full of either since the PBS, the taped Broadway casts. She's greedy, but you know what? She's right. <laughs> Uh, Kevin, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank today. you. This was very fun. Uh, Kevin, where can people find you if you want them to find you? Oh, they can find me in my house. Um, uh, that's really it. Or online, you can find me. I'm on a, all those handles is at Kevin J Zach Z A K, and that's probably all the only places you can find me right now because I don't really go out into the world. It's true. He does have a website. You can reach him through that as well. Mm -hmm. um, and he does answer from time to time. So, mm -hmm. you know, keep the faith, y'all. You, <laughs> you can find me on Instagram, Matt Koplik, usual spelling. If you like the podcast, uh, rate, review, subscribe. The algorithm is a real thing. And we want to make sure that people know that it's a real thing. And yeah, this has been phenomenal. Let's close us out with a nice Broadway diva into the woods related. Uh, we've done Gleason. We've done Bernie. We've done Vanessa. Uh, trying to think of who else we could do. Uh, Danielle Furland, because we don't talk about her enough. So yes, thank you so much, guys. And make sure to check us out next week when we cover, uh, when Sondheim writes his version of an 80s rom-com, Say Anything, Can't Buy Me Love, 16 Candles, and it's called Passion. Uh, have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Bye, take us away, Danielle. Once his teeth were bare, though I really got scared. Well, excited and scared. But he drew me close and he swallowed me down, down a dark, slimy path where lie secrets that I never want to know. And when everything familiar seemed to disappear forever at the end of the path, was ready once again. So we wait in the dark until someone sets us free and we're brought into the light and we're back at the start. And I know things now, many Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot -E -E org because only together we rise.
It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.